the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The message this morning is loving God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And our text is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a long life worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. A handsome man named Jian Feng from northern China met and fell in love with this beautiful woman. And I'm sure you've heard this story several years back. One look at her and he fell head over heels in love with her. So he proposed and they got married and they had children. After several children, this man noticed that those children just didn't look like either of them. They were hideously ugly. And he couldn't believe that he will produce such offsprings. So he was alarmed and he confronted his wife and asked if those children were really his. And she said, they are. You can have a DNA test and that will prove that they are our children. But why are they ugly? It turned out that she had spent $100,000 on plastic surgery and all kinds of bodily enhancements before they met. And so when they got married, the offspring revealed the truth. And he actually divorced her and sued her for $120,000, and he won. You know, stories like that, I can't even begin to tell you how many spiritual lessons can be gleaned from stories like that. But to me, it speaks of the superficiality of love, of how we can love someone for all the wrong reasons. And sadly, that kind of disingenuous and insincere love is also often a picture of our own affection for God. Love for God, unless it's driven by the Spirit of God, can fall into that kind of deception. What does it really mean to love God in the Spirit? How do we know that our love for God is authentic and is in fact driven by the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives? This is an important question because we can love God with all kinds of motivation. We can love God under false pretenses. 
many of us fall into this trap. I know I have. You know, I, I show my love for God through religious zeal. That's a very long time in my life. You know, I was a very religious person. We can express our love for God through our religious zeal. We can show our love for God through an obligation. It's an obligatory love that we, we all have. We can show our love for God through traditional practices, traditions like, you know, I come to church, I do all of these good things uh, in the name of the Lord. You know, and, and, and good deeds. Obviously, you know, we try to do good things because, um, you know, that's an expression of our love for God. And although there's nothing wrong with these things, in fact, they're often wonderful expressions of our love for God the problem is they can be achieved without any kind of meaningful and authentic relationship with God. They can be done in the power of the flesh. All of these things, religious zeal, obligatory love, traditions, you know, good deeds, all of these can be done in the power of the flesh without having the Spirit of God drive them in our life. As wonderful as they are, they're not sufficient. They don't authenticate our love for God. So we'll see what spirit-driven or in spirit-induced love uh, really looks like. Okay? There are four things this morning that I, I just want to share about loving God in the Spirit. They're all based on our verses this morning. Number one, a spirit-driven love for God is shown through a continuous desire to know God's heart. If you want to know, and if I want to know if my love is authentic towards God, there is that continuous, and I, I, I would underscore the word continuous, there's that ongoing desire in the inside of us. This is, again, driven by the Spirit of God, that continuous desire to know the heart of God. I want you to look at verse 9 again. It says, For this reason, Paul writes, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through, the, through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. The word is thelamatus autu, that which God has willed objectively about Himself. That's what the word for the will of God. There are things that we will discover about God that we cannot produce on our own. And that's very important for all Christians to understand. Our God reveals himself to us through the Holy Spirit, through the, through, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And those things can only be discovered by revelation, by God himself showing it to us under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad that as a Christian, I don't have to invent or construct an understanding of God beyond the limits of what He has already revealed in His Word. And we need to be very careful about how we perceive God, how we paint a picture of who God is. 99.9% .9 of the will of God can be found in the Word of God. That's why it's so important for us to get into the Word of God because that's what the Spirit of God you know, drives into us. He reveals us all truth through the Word. And we can't invent way or we can't construct a, 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 an understanding of God's will based on our circumstances, based on how we feel, based on how we see the world is going, okay? 
God reveals to us things about him in scriptures. And there's no such thing as new revelations from God. When somebody says, well, you know, I heard a fresh understanding of God. Please, God has already revealed himself through his word. And what we say are new revelations are nothing more than a rediscovery of what God has already revealed about himself. So we're not called to come up with all kinds of new teachings and new constructs about who God is. Because he revealed himself to us. And that's how we know that our love for God is authenticated. We have a continuous desire to know what God has already said about who he is. That's important. I mean, how many things we see uh, people saying uh, that are really inconsistent with, with what God has already revealed, okay? So I'm glad, and you should be glad, that as Christians, we already have a revelation from God of who He is. And all we need to do is to look at it, and the Spirit of God gives us fresh insights on those things that he has already revealed. You know, you, you will find yourself reading the Bible and discovering uh, or rediscovering insights that you have never seen before, but they're not new. They've been there. And God is just saying, okay, for this time and this season in your life, this will be my word for you. And it doesn't mean that that's a new word. It simply means we're rediscovering it for the first time. Every follower of Christ has a desire to know the very heart of God. When Jesus was here on earth, he really messed up people's conception of what it means to pursue God. Okay? The nation at the time uh, when Jesus was ministering in this world, uh, th th the nation was steeped in religious culture, while the Romans and Greeks ran rampant in their pagan idol worship. Now, Jesus came into the scene, and not only did he come to save lost humanity by offering forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to those who believe, but he also lived out what's in the heart of God. While religiosity is geared towards pacifying and appeasing God as its primary goal, Jesus came and said to his disciples, and he said to everyone, I have food that none of you know about. My food is to do the will of my Father. So Jesus didn't just come, you know, to offer salvation to the world. He didn't just come to offer us redemption, and he did that primarily to, to save humanity through faith in him. But he also demonstrated the heart of God in the way he lived out his life. What sustained us, what will sustain us in times of hardships, what will sustain us in the challenges that life will offer, when we th where do we get the courage and the resolve and the confidence to go through them? What kind of power do we really have to deal with the, the depressing things that are going on? We all know that God's grace is sufficient. We all know that God is forgiving. We all know that God is merciful. But what will really bring us through them is our continuous desire to know what God is doing, to know what the will of God is. What we pursue in the inside as we deal with the things that are going on on the outside has everything to do with our continuous desire and intention to know the will of God. And the Holy Spirit 
helps us in that endeavor. That's why the Spirit came. You know, so so we need we need to be attentive to the kinds of things that that uh, that we go through in life. We need to be attentive with what's going on. We need to actually really filter them out with the Word of God. Uh, Psalm sixty-two verses five and seven. David says this: "Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation." He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. You know, David penned those words not just because he wants to recite a mantra to make him feel better in the situation that he was in. He didn't, he didn't write those words simply to convince himself that he is serving a powerful God. He knew who God is. He knew it in the very deepest recesses of his being. Why? Because the Bible says that David continuously, continuously ran after the will of God. You know, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. You know what that means? That means David ran after the heart of God. That's what it means. He made it his preoccupation to determine what God's will is, what God likes, what he didn't like, what makes God happy, what makes God sad, what makes God, you know, uh, excited, whatever. The Bible says that David went after it. That's why he's a man after God's heart, okay? David further says, your word I have hidden in my heart so I will not offend you by sinning, so that I will not transgress by doing the things that you don't desire. So the first sign that our love for God is authentic is that there's that continuous desire to know the heart of God. Now there's a second mark of loving God that is driven by the Spirit, and that is there is a constant determination to make God happy. So it's not just a matter of uh, knowing the heart of God or continuously um, finding what God's will is, but there's also that something in the inside of us. There's that constant determination to really make God happy. Look at verses 10 to 11. It says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Again, not only do we have a continuous desire to know the heart of God, but we also determined to make Him happy. That's a question we need to ask. Uh, do we have that constant determination to please God, to make Him happy? There's this misconception that enters our minds uh, every time we hear the words, God loves you just the way you are. You know, we preachers are guilty of sometimes using those words to entice people to come to a relationship with God. And you know, uh, sometimes we, we take it too far and we, we seem to, you know, to convey this idea that God is interested in just saving us. And of course, God wants to save every person. Of course, that's his desire. Of course, that's his plan for humanity. But when we say things like, oh, God loves you just the way you are, we need to understand what we mean 
when we say that, when we invite people to a relationship with God, when we, when we engage God in worship, we need to understand what we mean by that. You know, the Bible, the New Testament, uh, there's 27 books in the New Testament, 27 of them, okay? Four of them, you know, we, we we're familiar with. They're the Gospels. They're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The four Gospels. That's, that's, the, that's the first four books of the New Testament. There's a book of history in the Bible. That's the book of Acts. That um, talks about the history of the church, how the church came, came about, and how the Holy Spirit has superintended the spread of the church throughout the world. Okay, and there, there's one book uh, that talks about future events and about prophecies and things like that. And, of course, that's the book of Revelation. But a staggering 21 books in the New Testament. Most of them are letters by the Apostle Paul. 21 out of 27 of the books in the Bible talks about how we ought to live as Christians. So if you think about it, God is not just interested in us knowing about the good news of the gospel. God is not just interested in us getting saved and going to heaven when we die. He wrote the Bible, and a large portion of it, the majority <laughs> of the New Testament, talks about how we ought to live this world. So God, in this world. So God is interested in how we live our lives. He's interested in making sure that we live a life that he exchanged for the life of his son, okay? So, uh, how, how do we please God? How, how do we make God happy through the, through, through the life that we live out? Well, there, there's a couple of things, three things based on, they're all written in, that, in those verses, okay? How do we make God happy? Number one, again, by living a, li a pleasing life, okay? A life that is not perfect, but is predisposed to honoring God. You know, that's how we, we, we check ourselves, okay? When we, when we, as we go through life, I mean, there are things in, in our lives that we always have to examine. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves daily to see if we are in the faith. It's not talking about whether you are in the faith, whether you're gonna be, you are going to be lost or you're going to stay saved. It has nothing to do with that. When the Bible compels us to examine ourselves on a daily basis, it's, 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 pushing us to ask ourselves the question, am I living a life pleasing to God? Now, we're not perfect people. We make mistakes. We do all kinds of stupid things. But a heart that loves God and a heart that is driven by the Spirit of God has a predisposition to honor God. So we need to examine that in ourselves, okay? Uh, there is that desire, not only desire, but a predisposition to honor God, okay? You're not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect husband, but I am predisposed to pleasing my, my wife, okay? I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a perfect person at work. I make mistakes at work, but my predisposition is to do a good job. And so those are signs. Those are things that we can practically, you know, see in the way we live. And there are signs that, that they are from the Spirit of God, when we are predisposed to honoring God in everything that we do. Secondly, uh, a productive life, okay? God is happy when we live productive lives. The Bible says bearing fruits. What kinds of fruits? Fruits of righteousness, you know, fruits of kindness, uh, 
self-discipline. You, 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 know, you know Galatians 5. You read those things, you know. Uh, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Okay, productive lives. We need to take a good look at our lives, create an inventory uh, of the stages in our life, begin to examine how much we have grown. Uh, we're finishing 2020 and the new year is going to come upon us. Uh, this time of the year is a good time to reflect on how we have grown, not only in, in, in our own personal lives, but in more importantly in our relationship with God. How much we have grown in being gracious, how much we have grown in being patient, how much we have grown and have matured in, in the areas of kindness and generosity, in, in our relationship with people, how much of the likeness of Jesus have been molded in our lives up to this point. It's all part of loving God. It's all part of showing our affection for God. Uh, we're also planning to make the most of our time uh, here on earth. Uh, no matter how big or how small our plans are, we evaluate them according to how much it's going to put pleasure in the heart of God. And thirdly, God is happy when we live a powerful life. Pleases God. Powerful lives pleases God. That simply means you and I don't cave in to pressures and to trials but we hold firmly to our confession of faith. We, you and I don't crumble and we don't compromise our conviction when we encounter trials and problems in life. You know, when, when the devil attacks us, and he does attack us, okay? And, and if you're a Christian, uh, don't let anybody tell you that the devil doesn't exist, okay? Because he does. His preoccupation, and listen very carefully, he's not interested in you serving him. He's not interested in any one of us worshiping him. His main goal is to make sure that your affection and my affection towards God is confused, is messed up. That's his number one, you know, MO. You know, people mistakenly think that, hey, you know, I don't want to serve the devil. I don't want to worship the devil and all of that. So forget that. You know, he's not interested. He, know, he knows he, he cannot get that kind of, I mean, uh, I mean, there's plenty of people who worship the devil anyway. But if you and I, we, we live in a different plane. We're not, we're, we're not aware, we're not supposed to be preoccupied with thinking that we're, you know, we're being enticed by the devil to follow him or to serve him, to worship him. Nothing of the sort. What, what the devil tries to do is to take that affection away. There's a, you know, if he, if he can mess up our desire to love God by attacking our convictions, by bringing us into places in life where we're going to crumble, I mean, he would have accomplished his task. And you and I, must live a powerful life. And a powerful life is not, you know, you can, you know, you, you, you live a completely blessed life, trouble-free, and all of these blessings come upon your way. Nothing of the sort. A powerful life is a life that doesn't cave in to the pressures to compromise our conviction. So loving God is not just be having that desire to know the will of God. There's also a, a determination to make God happy. And there's a third uh, 
mark of loving God in the spirit. I think I mentioned four things, but I'm only going to go with three <laughs> this morning. And that is a commitment to declare our godly heritage. Loving God in the spirit means we make a commitment to declare that our heritage is a godly heritage. Look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of God. To love God is not to be ashamed to be godly. I mean, that may be a simple statement to many of us in our hearing. But that's what it means to love God, to live a godly life. 